I'm KCT. Welcome to Going Up North, the podcast where I take interesting people out on the lake to try their hand at a family tradition, spear fishing. While we wait the hours for the opportunity to spear a northern, we'll shoot the shit, have some laughs, tell our stories, and hopefully go home with one in the bag. This week, in the fifth episode of season two, I reconnected with a high school teacher I had who taught me a lot more than English back in the day, and it has always been an inspiration. It was a great time catching up, getting to know her, talking about poetry, writing, teaching, and the world we live in. I'm so excited. Yeah? Yeah, it was Good tough to hear. work at 6 o'clock. I was like, jeez. <laughs> Remember the last time I've been out on the ice? <laughs> There's a lot of ice fishing. I used to with my dad. But... Back in, you're from Montana, right? Wyoming. Wyoming? Okay. I checked it a couple days ago out there and it was 13 inches. Tons. About nine and a half feet. I don't know why I thought it would be deeper as far as we are from Must be kind of level out here. Yeah, it stays pretty shallow all the way out until about. Well, it drops off pretty quick. But maybe 60 feet that way, it's already out to 20. Okay. So. Should I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. See how much shit I can right. drop into the hole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, it's a cool perspective because, like, in the summer when you fish, you never see any of that, you know? You just see the, yeah, absolutely. the surface, so. It's kind of like a window into their world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can talk and everything. And oh yeah, absolutely. The fish aren't gonna. Yeah, I've <laughs> as I've done this more and more, I've come to the realization that when you're a kid, and the adults are like, "Don't make any noise. You're gonna scare the fish." It's just so that you shut the fuck up, <laughs> and they don't have to listen to the kids. Uh, the dark house spearing version of the quiet game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's weird sometimes. Yeah, you'll be carrying on and on and on, and then look down there and there's a fish. It's like, well, I don't think they care. <laughs> like, and sometimes, like the first day we were out here, we were getting ready to leave. There wasn't even a decoy down there, and uh, fish swam through. Oh, cool. So it's kind of like, I don't know what works. <laughs> and you said you got a, a monster the other day? Yeah. Like 10 oh. pounds. Oh, is that your biggest? That was actually, nice. yeah. We were out in this kind of same spot. We've moved it around a lot, but we were out here in the same spot maybe six, seven years ago, and Dad got a 15. Oh, wow. That's huge. Yeah. Is that a big for anywhere, big for Bemidji? What's Definitely big for Bemidji, I think, okay. and pretty big for anywhere. I was YouTubing last night just to kind of get myself in the mood. It wasn't a video. It was just a bunch of still shots, but okay. kid got a... Was 42 inches. That's huge. Yeah. That's 20 plus for yeah. sure. <laughs> it was a big fish. I was like, wow. So, of course, I had dreams all night. Yeah. <laughs> so, which, um, is there any, like I say, I don't know anything about this. So, like, what's the, do they tend to come in from a particular side? Do they come in fast? Do they come in slow? It's really a, a mixed bag of all of it, really. Because, I've been trying to be out here every day, mm -hmm. just so, because I normally only get, now we just moved back, so. Where, where were you? Uh, down in St. Peter. Oh, okay. So I've only ever had the chance, I only like, came up during winter break or mm -hmm. on my birthday or whatever, but now that I have the opportunity to be out here like every day, yeah. I think it's worthwhile trying to keep track of that stuff, where they, you know, because to figure out a pattern, because yep. I never have been able to, and even the old timers, like guys that, my dad's been spearing with for 40 years or whatever they I don't I don't even think they know what they're talking about do you follow like some fishermen follow like weather fronts and moon phases and all that do you think that has anything to do with it I think sometimes okay. it, it does um I've kind of been paying a little bit of attention to that like but you know it was really nice for a few days and then it got cold again and like that cold day I didn't see a single fish okay so it's like maybe that you know I don't know but like I say, now that it's been cold for a couple of days, maybe they adjust and they'll 
be running, but it's interesting. Yeah, sometimes they'll just come in like a bullet and hit the decoy, swim off, or come back, and other times they just. It's really weird. Like if you want, like during the day, if you watch like the weeds, mm -hmm. they're almost perfectly still. So it's like it's really weird how things w work in the water. And so sometimes, like I say, the fish, it just looks like it's obviously it's floating there, but you're just like, what? So I can barely move. It's what, how, and then it just sit there and look. Or like yesterday, the one that we saw was pretty nice. One came in under my feet and like just got to the edge of the hole, and it was like he knew something was up because then he just swam right along the edge of the hole. Oh man! And uh, it's like a buck who knows you're there somehow and always stays behind a branch. Yeah, a lot of people actually do compare this to deer hunting because it's a lot of sitting and yep. doing nothing, and then all of a sudden in like four seconds it can be over. <laughs> So what is the, uh, like, what's the, if a fish came in and I wanted to spear it? How yeah, absolutely. I was just going to run you through that. Okay. So the, you can see way under my feet. So if you see a fish coming, like, you'll see it before. way, way before I can. Okay. Um, so then you can get ready or whatever. Okay. So you don't want to make any noise or splash. So you, and you want to get, so you put the spear in the water. And the closer you can get to the fish, obviously, the better. Because there's less time and travel yep and so like if the decoy is the fish if it's facing that way you want your spear to be this way uh, like perpendicular you know yep and then so and you want to aim because we say behind the ears so like right behind the head or like the gill plates yep and oh you don't want to do this either like you don't want to jerk it up you know what i mean so once you have it where you want it <clears throat> you almost oh, fuck. you almost just drop it you don't it's okay. like kind of like throwing a dart you just kind of real simple so it's not a violent... No. Kind of let the... Spear do the work for you. It's, yep. oh, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. So if you want to even just... I wouldn't hold on to the rope. Oh, okay. Because see how it kind of bent over when it hit your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, that oh, was yeah, straight yeah. on. Okay. So hopefully we'll see one. I'm going to do another one. I know there's probably a 30-pounder coming and I'm dicking around. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. Cool. How often do, uh, what's the success rate if you throw? Is it pretty good? And yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, if you're not, like, super keyed up and paying a lot of attention, a lot of things can go wrong. Sure. Missed opportunities. Right. Or you stand on the spear or the, the rope or you do something stupid. And, I mean... It's not something you can like really practice a lot, right? <laughs> so, so um, is this the one your dad bought in Crosby? No, he had a. That's in here somewhere. He's got a billion of them in these bags, but that's uh, I don't know where he got that one. That's kind of a weird one. It fills with water, actually. Oh. But you just pull up, and then the fins make it spin. Yep, and the curve of the tail make it go in a circle. But the success, I mean, it's pretty decent. Okay. I've probably thrown at 10, 11 fish this year and missed three or four times. Okay. Um, are they pretty easy to, like, the decoy seems really clear, but I know, like, fish are camouflaged, so. Yeah. Is it easy to see when they come in, or? The northerns are pretty easy to see because they're big and they're okay. dark. Um, but sometimes like perch those are the ones that really get me because they have like those little tiger stripes kind of yep. that look exactly like the weeds in the bottom there could be one down there and you don't see it for five minutes and then it moves and you're like what i thought i was seeing was things <laughs> like okay um but normally the northerns are pretty noticeable okay and walleyes um they have a big white spot on their tail yep so that's kind of a easy giveaway to see yeah and yeah. that is highly illegal to spear a walleye. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Same with muskies. You'd really be in trouble. Well, I mean... So, the difference... I mean, I've fished um, muskies, so okay. I've caught muskie, but, like, in terms of looking at them from a bird's eye view I in think nine them, feet of water it's, in a dark house, how do you tell a muskie from a northern... Their, their build's a little bit different, okay. and um, their fins are a little bit different. Muskies' uh, fins are a little bit more red. Okay. 
But the main thing, I, as far as I can tell or I've noticed, and I've only ever seen a couple muskies in here, um, is a northern's dark with light spots. Okay. And it seems that mo most muskies are the opposite. So okay. they're like, their camouflage is the dark spots on a lighter background. Opposite pattern. Yeah. Okay. And I could be wrong, but I think a, a northern's pattern seems to be more lateral. You know, like the dots go oh, like yeah. this. Oh, yep. And the muskie seems to be more of like a stripe over the top. Bars over the top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But when you see one, you're like, oh, I'm going to get it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to think twice. Cabbage or whatever. Yeah. I don't know exactly what technically those are, but weeds is where you want to be. Camouflage for the bait fish, I guess, is what the theory is. Okay. So, is this the old man Carl's? Is this the. Yes. Ah, man, the history, that's so cool. Well, I just think this whole idea is. It's just amazing. I mean, when you reached out i was like you're doing what that's so cool <laughs> yeah it's like was, a uh, taxi cab confessional or whatever <laughs> except like in a darker setting it just seemed really neat i was like what's a narrative interview i don't know it just seemed really really cool and the the added benefit of something so northern minnesota right and something where you have an opportunity like just talking to you is going to mean this is neat but if I could spear a fish too and oh, absolutely. check that off my bucket list, that would be cool too. For sure. Yeah, I know that I was, uh, last year I thought about whatever, reaching out to you. And I was like, I don't know. I was a real piece of shit back in the day. <laughs> no, you and didn't. then I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, you know, you just get afraid of like rejection, right? So then this year I was like putting together all this list and my uh, friend of mine from high school, Drew Tyson, He's kind of my collaborator, I guess. Okay. And I was, like, talking about this year, and he's like, dude, you send people an email, three things happen. They don't respond. Who cares? They say yes, awesome. They say no, move on. That's it. It's over. And I was like, yeah. no, you're right. So I was just like, no, I'm going to email everybody. <laughs> uh, and was super stoked. I was like, it was really weird. Like, the two people that I was, like, most concerned about or whatever, like, really, like, man, if I could get them to say yes, that'd be awesome. You... And uh, Anton Troyer, oh cool! Both you both immediately responded, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And did he say yes, yes to? Yes, he did. Awesome. Yeah, I've been reading one of his books, and just seems like an interesting guy to talk to. Mm -hmm. And there's also the connection there too of like, I mean, we learned this from them, right? Like we had to have. Yeah. This is their, you know, or our bastardization of whatever they did. Yeah, I, uh, the. Minnesota Monthly Magazine I gave you there. Um, I won the Tamarack Award for Short Fiction in 2002 with that story that's in there. And that all started, I was, uh, must have been 2000, 2001. And we ended up at the, whatever, the Science Museum down there. Mm. And um, I walk into this one little alcove and they have some um, decoys, and they have some traditional spears, and then there was like this little podium, and there was a TV maybe about the size of this piece of, what is that anyway? Some sort of foam? Yeah. But just a small little TV. And it was on a loop. It was just playing this video. Like, I just got mesmerized by it. It was the um, Lac de Flambeau tribe, like okay. the Ojibwe tribe, Chippewa tribe down in uh, Wisconsin. And the whole video was how they have, as a people, they have spearfished for, you know, generations and generations. And they showed how they... Um, like you said, a bastardization. They showed how they, it was a video on traditional 
lactoflambeau spearfishing techniques. And I've never done it right. in any capacity, but I was just mesmerized by this video. And I sat there and I watched it and played on a loop. And I watched, I think I got there about halfway through. So then I watched it a second time to catch the first half. But I was so into it, I watched the second half again. And right. And then I went home and I was like, ah, I couldn't get that story out of my head. And so I ended up writing this story about this this guy who goes spearing and and fall, ends up falling through the ice. And Is that the story that's also in Vent? Yes, the fish story one, yep. Although in Vent, I changed it. In Vent, I took the original idea. In the original story, he's like a 66-year-old dude. Okay. Um, and so for Vent, I took the basic bones of the story and changed the kid to one of the seniors. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the one in... I've just kind of been fascinated by, you know, Les Cuba has that, the, yeah. the three, like, I think they get worse each one, but the first one's amazing, <laughs> the one that's kind of like this, yes. the, kind of the giant pike hovering. It's like the, the, uh, like the thermos and the little the lunchbox thermos, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you see the little, like, tobacco tin and everything, mm-hmm. and that's just an amazing print. And I've always, uh, I think my dad... My dad ice fishes a lot, or he used to, but I don't know if he ever speared. But I, as a child, I spent many a many a day in the ice house with him. So, mm-hmm. but I've I've always wanted to do this, and, and so very very cool. When you when you emailed, I was like, hell yeah, yeah. So I, like our correspondence, I got the impression that you hadn't speared before, and I was like, that's awesome. This is gonna be awesome. And then, of course, like everything I do, especially academic things, I left my research until the last possible moment. So I read Vent like three days ago. Mm, mm. And I got to that story and was just like, no fucking way. <laughs> I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like, I, like, uh, and so I, I was like, I said, I was texting Drew. I was like, dude, there's a story in here about spearing. This is just like too, you know, I was like, that's crazy. Well, and I had almost the exact same reaction when you texted me. I was like, God damn, like I wrote that story, you know, decades ago. Right. And I, I researched it, you know. I. Um, well, that was the a, thing. I was like, this sounds like someone who's been spearing. I was like, this is like, either you did a lot of like, re- yeah, I was yeah. Like, either she's done this or did a lot of YouTube watching. You know, I was like. No, I, I, re- I watched that video and I was so interested. I, you know, this is 2002, so there's the internet, but. Sure. Not like cell phones and right. like, you know, touch screens and everything. So I remember I got the number to the um, Chamber of Commerce or the American Indian Resource Center, some down in Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin, for the tribe. They have a, uh, they have like a festival every year where they kind of celebrate this stuff. And I couldn't make it to, couldn't get time off of work or whatever to go down there. But they were nice enough. They sent me a bunch of literature on it. Oh, cool. So I was able to read and and just kind of figure out, like, the basics of of what I needed and and then put it into the story. I read the story last night. I I was like, I think I have an extra copy. I'll give Casey a copy of that. I didn't know you had read Ben. But I was tickled. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I I wrote that story. and, And, uh... And here I am all these years later, and I'm actually getting a chance to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I read that story, and I was like, oh. Start getting scared about falling through. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice my first question when we got out here? So, yeah. uh, how, how thick's the ice? <laughs> yeah. Now, do you keep, like, a low flame going there so this yeah. pretty much stays open? Or yep. just a thin crust? Or Yeah. I don't know when it ran out of gas last night, but there wasn't much ice on the hole okay. i've last year when i was up here doing it it was like 20 below for like four days Oof. and the heater would turn off every night i don't know it gets cold or something and i'd come out there'd be half inch on it which is enough to be a pain you gotta chisel you like it a out. chisel yeah back in the corner okay so i was wondering actually did you write vent as a series of pieces that eventually came together or was that 
always a cohesive narrative that just sort of fell into parts. No, so the deal with that is, um, like mostly what I write now is poetry. In fact, that's almost exclusively what I've been writing uh, is poetry. Um, but in grad school, I worked with Will Weaver on my novel Alpha Summer. That was my thesis for my master's degree. So coming out of graduate school, having written that, you know, my, my goal was to be uh, kind of like the next Will Weaver. I, I wanted to be a northern Minnesota novelist and took, I think that got published by Loomfeather Press in 2005. So I was like, okay, you know, I never made much money on it or everything, but we went through one running of it, and then they did another uh, printing. And I was like, okay, all right, well, what do I want to do? And Weaver always said that I was a pretty good short story writer, and he always talked about even in novels, you know, you want to, it's, it's about crafting that tight little narrative arcs and everything, and so writing short stories helps you become a better novelist and his word was was gold to me so I just kept writing these stories and I'd get them published and like I won the Tamarack Award with that one fish story and I think I got a thousand bucks for a story I wrote about it. It's also in that collection. It's the one where the kid goes out hunting and accidentally shoots his dog. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even like dogs, but I knew it was a good story. I, right. I, I finished writing it, and I let my ex-wife, well, she was my wife at the time, but she, she came in and she read it, and she started crying. And I was like, because she's a dog person, I was like, okay, that I must have got something right. Yeah. So I was writing all these short stories, and I was having success getting them published, and I was even getting paid for some of them and whatnot. But I was like, I want to collect all these stories and kind of like Weaver's Gravestone Made of Wheat, which mm -hmm. is a collection of his short fiction. It's like, I, I want somebody to publish all of these. Well, the publishing, it's really hard to get published, and um, I think short story collections are even harder to get published than novels. And I just wasn't having any luck. I kind of foolishly thought, well, if I've had all these stories published, then that will show their worth. And as a collection, you know, I can find a small publishing house that would want to publish them. But I just never could. And so what ended up happening is in 2006, I won an artist residency at the Gentel Artist um, Residency Program out in a little podunk area of Wyoming. So I got to live out there and um, write for a month. So the, it was a, there. I think it was at any one time they could house either six or eight people. There were like four or six visual artists and then they had two little writing cabins. So there could be two writers out there at any one time. And you got four weeks. They gave you 100 bucks a week um, and drove you into town once a week to buy groceries. Uh, but other than that, you were just writing, 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 writing all day. So I had an entire month. And so my, my goal was to take all of those individual stories that I had written and somehow find a way to weave them together. So I, I needed some sort of a, a story that would kind of thread its way through and so that's that's when I came up with with Jacob and so if you look at those stories in Vent it's like every other story kind of comes back to him and his brother and, and their story and then it'll the other characters kind of weave their way in and out of out of that narrative but that's kind of how that came about I, I, I got I got to a point where I was like I'm not gonna get this published by, even though I had all the individual stories published, I'm not going to find somebody to publish them as a, just a collection of, you know, northern Minnesota short fiction. So uh, I decided, well, maybe I can weave a, a central storyline through. And I did that, and that was in 2006. And then I sent that out. No one was interested in that either. So at some point I did... 
I just uh, came across Create Space, and for free, it took me almost a year, but for free, you can go to Create Space and you can craft your own, you can put together your own book, you can edit it, you can, hmm. um, and so Vent is actually a, ended up self-publishing it through Create Space, and I kind of justified it by saying, well, half the stories in there got published by somebody else first anyway, so. And so that was kind of a, Vent was a labor of love, and I really feel cool about it because not only did I write all the stories and, and kind of hook them together with that artist residency, but I ended up designing the book from the, got permission from the artist and for the cover of it, and all the way to the, the back flap and securing the blurbs from people and the yeah the whole thing I, I got to kind of experience the editing side and the publishing side on my own that's awesome yeah and again never really made me any money but but so yeah now I have uh, uh, Loon Feather published my my novel and then I use Create Space to, to put together the short story collection and then this year I was really really fortunate and I am this girl, and um, I have another one coming out. It's available for pre-order right now. It's just it hasn't dropped yet. But uh, naked yet neuter is another um, collection of poetry. So it's been a good a good year in terms of uh, publishing success. Is everything harder to get published? Just to sort of the dying nature of print. Yeah, I mean, I think. Traditionally, traditional like those, the big New York publishing houses, it's 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 all a money game. It's all a, I don't even know. I I'm so ignorant as to what it would take because I've been trying to you know who wouldn't like to land a deal with Harper Collins or something, but right, <laughs> it just there's so few opportunities anymore with the big places but because of that and because of the internet and um, just how easy it is to get information out and stuff and um, the low overhead a lot of smaller publishing places have opened so um, I don't know I haven't written a lot of fiction in the last 10 years or so I kind of switched to, to poetry and I've had pretty good success getting individual poems published um but until this year i you know i've sent out quite a few manuscripts of my poetry and i haven't had any luck um and this year i okay what was that truck okay it's just eyes <laughs> uh it's always it's more unsettling when you can like feel it or it's really close by like the booming yeah. doesn't bother me but when you can it's like, oh, even though you know you're totally fine. It's like drive somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, I... What I found is getting individual pieces, and that was the same way when I was writing short fiction stuff, too. I, I'd i had a novel written during grad school is when I wrote the first draft of Alpha Summer. and God, I sent that everywhere from coast to coast. I couldn't get anybody to, to publish it, and... So Will just told me to hone my craft, and so I had a little more success writing short fiction and, and getting that published. And then I guess with the poetry, I've I've had more success still. But but it's taken till twenty eighteen to to get a couple of books of uh, poetry published. So I'm just really really grateful. I think like a lot of things, it's 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 kind of like probably spearing. You know, you can come out and want to get one right away, but the people who come out every day and and turn on the the gas and get the house warm and keep the hole open, they're ultimately going to be the ones that have success. So it's just a a hang in there, thick skin. Yeah. Handle rejection. Keep trying. Believe in yourself. Can I pull them up? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. We can change it. I can probably find one that's the same color as your favorite color if you want. Actually, that just looks like with the red. Looks like a bleeding fish. How can that not be appetizing? That's that's what I think all the time. It's like, how could you not want to at least come and investigate it? Right. 
So what's the uh, like daily limit? Like what? How how much how much can you spear? How many can you spear in a season? Or what's that all about? So they just changed the rules for northerns this year again. So the limit is ten. Ten a day. Ten a day. But Which is funny because you might see ten a week, a, right? Or ten in a, <laughs> or year. in a year. So how is it like? Okay, so I've always wondered this. I would imagine since it's cold outside and spear houses and fish houses in general get warm on the inside, you bank them and everything. Don't they kind of get stuck into the ice? And, like, how do you, when they say, oh, all the houses have to be off by the end of February or whatever, how, how do people, how do you get your house unstuck? Right. So, this isn't sitting directly on the ice, okay. is what it is. There's, well, they're all different, but this, the, like, the wheels on the outside, mm -hmm. there's, like, a bar off of it. So, if you push that bar down, it'll, like, lock in on the bottom, and that raises the house up so that the wheels will roll. So when you lower it down, we have like chunks of a two by four or whatever, a four by four. So you lower it down um, onto those. Okay. So that holds it up off the ice. That's why you have to bank it because there's a gap between uh, the bottom of the house and the ice. <clears throat> so then like with this one, we'll push the arms down, which will raise it up and then we can pull it or push it or whatever. And then you just have to chip the block of wood off the ice. Okay. If you're responsible. Some people just leave. Leave them. It's kind of incredible sometimes how much garbage you see at the bottom of the lake. Or how people just wantonly don't care. I don't know. Like I say, I went out with my buddy Drew a couple years ago, and we, were, we had to go rent a house. And he was like, dude, I can see like four batteries. Like, who thinks that's okay? It's just, it's a, I don't care. Yeah. You know? Like, of all the places to throw, why would you... Why can't you just put it in your in pocket, pocket and like leave? you got like, tons of pockets in your... I probably have 18 pockets on me right now. I'm not even... That's not even an exaggeration. I, I probably think, have things in all of them, too, but I could fit a couple more batteries. I think that all the time. You're driving, like, in the summer or fall when the grass goes down or they cut it, or if you're out on a walk and you see all the garbage in the ditch. I'm like, who are these people? I have never... Never once in 49 years have I rolled down my window and said, fuck it, and like whipped a Burger King. It's like, who does this? Who cares that little? Especially up here, you'd think you know, most of the people who live in northern Minnesota do it because it's so beautiful. And right. Why would you just take a shit and piss on everything that makes this place so great? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. No, it's incredibly frustrating. And batteries, that's that. It's even worse right. somehow. It's like you almost have to be thinking, what's the dumbest fucking thing we can throw in the lake? A battery. Yeah, like what? <laughs> yeah, it just... Boggles. Yeah. Hmm. It's cool. I mean, that's that's what you want. As a teacher, that's what you... Especially as a high school teacher... You know, I know just enough to be dangerous, right? So I know just enough to, like, get people started. Yeah. And, but that's your hope, you know? If I teach a creative writing class and, and you write a poem or two and you're like, oh, that was a really cool experience, you know? That hopefully forwards you to the next step. And So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a lot of poetry in college got into the slam poetry bandwagon oh, yeah. for sure got a group of guys together and uh, did some shows I guess it's pretty, pretty fun have you done any of the uh, open mic stuff here no I got like so out of practice and just you know when I, I don't know about you but I'm whatever nine years removed from that now and it's like yeah that doesn't really hold up, does it? No. I mean, some of it does, I guess, but a lot of it's like, huh, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. But. I have a, my thing is, I don't know what the hell happened, especially since I'm a teacher. I mean, my social anxiety is off the charts these last few years. I 
one of the reasons I said yes to this is I was like, okay, number one, it's going to be just two of us. I assumed it was going to be the two of us because these houses, from what I could see, were pretty small. So it's going to be dark. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can handle that, you know, but the thought of getting up on stage and and performing to a, a room full of people, even though that's, you know, I, I want my poetry to be read. Yeah, I'm more of a quiet poet. I The, the spoken word stuff, I just scares the shit out of me <laughs> yeah it definitely is nerve wracking but I guess when I was 22 I thought I was I don't know the next fucking Buddy Wakefield or yeah. something well and there's a certain energy to it as well so right. like you know there's a theatricality about it that kind of gets you I think that performance anxiety can be a good thing too I mean you can feed off of that energy so right but now I just, I fucking hate most people, so. I tell my students all the time, because, you know, I, I'm still pretty much the same person I was when I had you, so I like to be sarcastic and witty banter and all that shit. Mm-hmm. But I tell my students all the time, I said, if you <laughs> if you see me in Target or Walmart, just don't even come up to me because I'm going to be like, <laughs> like it, I just, I lose all ability to hold even the, the most basic conversation yeah i'm like that too like and maybe it just is getting older or something but that's like when i moved back i like saw someone in a store or whatever and was like oh fuck and then like definitely avoided it yeah. and like called drew and was like i don't think i'm ready for this and he's like yeah well you fucking picked to move home man and i was like i know but now imagine being a teacher Right. Who was taught in the same community for 20 years. I Like, that's one of the reasons, like, I'll go, especially this time of year, because you get kids that you've had in class come back right. from college or whatever, or you'll see them when you're out Christmas shopping, and, you know, they've had maybe 12 teachers their entire high school career, and right. you've had a 1,000, and it's just like, hey, you... <laughs> Where are you again? What you you know? It's the same old forest talking. Even kids I'm teaching, it's like mm-hmm. my interaction with them, the context that I know them is in a class talking about grammar or talking about film or talking about creative writing, and you see them at Target, and it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to say to you. Right, <laughs> right. It's just it's an occupational hazard, you know. You right. just you deal with so many people that you either remember people or you don't remember people. And I knew as soon as you emailed me, I was like Casey Hall. I remember Casey Hall. And it was funny because your email was like, I don't know if you remember me or not. I'm like, fuck, of course I remember you. Yeah. I like I no say, I sat, I sat over that email for like two days, like. Well, should I say like if you do remember me, it might not be all that great. Because I remember, I, I don't know, I just remember all the fucking terrible shit I did when I was a kid. It's easier to remember the trauma, right? And like, not to me, but the, whatever. So then, like I said, I was like, well, I'll just, yeah, you know, well, let's see. I'll just email her. <laughs> let, it, let it fall where it will. No, it was, it was awesome. I think the, you know, the world has a way of, like, so... <clears throat> I don't know how much you're aware of of what happened this past year, but like they were investigating whether or not to take my teaching license and everything. And what? Oh yeah. Why? Uh. So well, that's kind of a long story, but I think it's because of the Parkland school shooting and the fact that I'm trans. That's the only thing I can think of, but. Um, so that Parkland shooting happened when was that last January and I came home like on a Friday or something I came home and I was scrolling through my Facebook and I'd been a part of the uh, Bemidji Women's March the last two times they had that you know with the pussy hats and everything Right. I spoke at the first one at the end of the walk and 
work security. Uh, got to wear like a yellow vest and make sure people didn't get hit by cars on the second one. So I was kind of, you know, a bit more politically involved, I guess, um, the last few years. And so I had liked, in the process of all that, I had liked the um, Women's March organization's Facebook page. Well, after the Parkland shooting, they came out with a request to have a 17-minute walkout in honor of the 17 people who were killed at the Parkland shooting. And I wasn't even thinking I, you know, about my contract or, or anything like that, but I was a, just as a human being, I was like, that's, that's a powerful thing to say. I mean, wherever you stand on gun ownership, kids shouldn't have to go to school and worry about getting mowed down so let's let's honor them and so here I am on my phone without giving it any other thought and I sign up to I, <laughs> I sign up saying yeah I'll lead a, a 17 minute walkout and in my head I was like we'll just all silently walk out of the building and you know hold our heads down and I can time it on my phone, then we'll walk back in. Anybody who wants to do it can. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. So I put it on Facebook that I'm willing to lead this walk out. I don't think anything else about it. It was like a Friday night. Saturday morning, my phone rings, and it's a reporter from <laughs> the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And... Apparently, I was the first teacher in Minnesota. I think, ultimately, I was probably one of the only teachers in Minnesota, but to have organized a walkout. So, he, this reporter wanted to talk to me. And again, I'm an idiot, so I was like, yeah, yeah let's talk. So, <laughs> I gave like a 15-minute phone interview with this reporter. And... Uh, so then, in the Sunday edition, the online edition in the Star Tribune, there's this article about Bemidji teacher plans to lead walkout. And of course, you're not going to stop with just talking to the teacher, right? So on, <clears throat> on Monday, they called the school district to get their take on it. And of course, I hadn't told the school anything. Right. So they're not prepared to have a reporter from the Minneapolis Star Tribune call them. And so that sense just got turned into a huge ball of shit really fast. And the school district was like, well, we don't even know. Um, we have policies. Um, teachers can't talk about controversial subjects. You can't interrupt the school day um, or the educational opportunities. Um, and I get all that. I mean, I after I went back and looked at my contract I was like oh shit I fucked up and so um, but the Bemidji Pioneer picked it up and then it, it kind of became this pissing contest between uh, the superintendent Hess at the time and myself because I was trying to eat crow and say okay yeah, yeah, I overstepped my bounds but I still thought it was a really good idea that something be done to honor these kids and and um and so anyway long and short well uh, what was his problem then uh because his problem was like or my problem with with him is that um and again i i'll be the first to say i didn't review my contract and and there are things in there that prevent me from doing what I thought was a decent human thing to do. I mean, I get that I shouldn't have done it, but I still stand behind the sentiment. And the the district was like just so adamant that all they heard was negative, like 
parents and community members started calling in as people read the article and the superintendent was just basically saying that I had upset everyone mm. <clears throat> and that's just not true and so I put it out on Facebook I was like hey you know superintendent saying that the only feedback he's getting is is negative um, and so that started like my social circle and the, the people that um, are more I don't know politically or socially aligned with me then it turned into them saying doing their own calls and their own letter writing campaign so kind of supporting what I was trying to do well then even though I had met with the HR person and said, I'm sorry, I, I won't lead the walkout. Then it kind of became this pissing contest because the story just wouldn't die down. There were right. people complaining, but there were people that were writing letters of support. And the superintendent was still saying he wasn't getting any letters of support. And I knew that wasn't true. And it just felt like it was trying to be spun. And, you know, I finally just stepped down. And actually, the kids at the high school came up with the perfect plan. They were like, um, a student council came up with it, and they were like, how about we do this? Um, we'll do, because I offered, I said, well, how about during homeroom? I said, homeroom isn't taking things away from class, and kids can either get up out of their homeroom and, and go out for 17 minutes during homeroom, or they can stay in their homeroom. But then it was like, well, who's going to be watching them, and who's responsible for him and still can't do this. So one of the student council kids said, well, how about we do it before school? Like we meet at the flagpole on Wednesday mornings, you know, for worship and stuff. Why don't we just do something like that? Anybody who wants to before the school day starts. And I was like, that's fine with me. I was never trying to upset the apple cart anyway. I, I, to me, again, it's less about who should own what kind of a gun and the fact that 17 high school students were murdered and I'm a high school teacher right. and kids should be able to go to school without fearing that someone's going to come in and tag him you know and and so I was like yeah let's do that that's fine so it, in the end it all worked out fine we we met at the flagpole for 17 minutes before school started uh HR director was there, the principal came out, we just bowed our heads and um, timed it on the phone and um, I'd say maybe about 60 students came out, you know, out of a school of 13, 1400 kids, that's not a lot, but students had the opportunity and were informed so they came out. And then Actually, on the day, you know, the one-month anniversary or whenever it was supposed to happen, uh, about another 60 kids actually chose to get up on their own um, during homeroom and go outside and stand. Um, and then there's this big thing about whether or not they were going to get detention for... Right. But I didn't have anything to do with it at that point, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. Well... The reason I tell you all that is because I, I obviously pissed um, a lot of people off. And I had had this poem published um, in January, a piece of uh, autobiographical kind of confessional poetry. Yes, I've read that. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was actually wondering about that. So it's interesting that yeah. this comes to this. Well, and I think what happened is, because um, I've, for the most part, I've been left alone since I transitioned. I mean, there's been a few exceptional assholes that I've had to deal with. Um, students? Uh, students and parents, mm -hmm. like entire families, mm -hmm. like the kid being the spearhead of, you know, mom and dad's conviction or whatever so having to deal with all of them and I've had some you know a few kids that have uh, I've heard throughout the years that you know their parents wouldn't let them take my class and mm -hmm. I can't I can't help that 
doesn't really bother me because I'm like, well, if I never got to know you anyway, it's nobody's loss. But I've been pretty much left alone. Um, Because I remember the last time I think I saw you was, like, right on that turn. Oh, yeah. And it was, seemed pretty fucking miserable at that time. Oh, it was, yeah. You graduated in 2007. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think I came back like 2008 or 2009. Yeah. And you were telling me that, you know, like the fallout with the fucking swim team and all the fucking, like you said, some parent was like, let's meet in a fucking dark alleyway. And you were like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, How dumb do you think I am? Oh, who's, who's, I don't know. There was, yeah, that dad wanted, wanted to meet me off campus. 2007, 2008 was horrible because, you know, my secret, I got outed, but I, wasn't ready to transition. My marriage was ending, and and uh, you know, even ten years ago, people didn't know as much as they do now about transgender folk, and so it was it was uh, not a good not a good couple of years. But you know, then I transitioned and I, I came back to work as as Gina, and like I say, I've been pretty much allowed to. To just do my job because that's you know the fact I'm trans has absolutely nothing to do with my love of English and language and writing and, and my ability to teach that. So there's no real good stopping place in this narrative, but I thought I'd leave you all with that last statement because it rang deeply true to me and it's worth dwelling on. Tune in next week. We'll pick it right up where we left off and get the rest of the story. Hopefully, our fishing luck turns around. As always, follow along on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Stitcher. Give us a like and a share. Tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm KCT, and this is Going Up North. All right!